0: On air and online at theticketfm.com. Brought to you by Mary Ellen's Food for the Soul. This is On the Block with Stricken Austin. Both in studio today. That's right. Yes, yes. Back with my guy. Yes, sir. Welcome Batman back. Batman and Robin. How was the flight? Oh, uh, I was dead tired. Mm. And I
1: normally don't sleep on the, on the plane, but I was totally out. Mm. I was out. And... Um you know I I coming back I went to a friend's birthday party so it was one of those those type of days plus watching the game and you know
0: There's no reason it had to start at 8:30 at night. Man, that's too late. Yes. Why would we do that?
1: I don't know. I think they think they try you know because of the so I'll tell you why I per, I perceive it to be that way. It's because the West Coast getting off of work at that four or five time frame mm-hmm. allows them to get home or get to whatever the happy hour spot or whatever they're going to go to to be able to watch the game. So you get a lot of these late starts depending on that. Sure. Now, if, if, if it was out west somewhere, that would make it even worse because they probably started like six <sighs> Which means you're gonna be up to 121 if you're in the east Coast you know yeah. I, so it just depends like if it's out east you know they, they'll start at eight o'clock normal you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, I don't think they'll start at nine but it, that's really the probably the
0: justification of that. What's the sweet spot for starting those games as a like as a player when do you want to start a game that big?
1: I, I personally would like to be seven. You know, seven's like the right number that allows you. I think once it gets later, it throws off your routine a little bit mm-hmm. because you're, you're kind of used to being in that six to to eight time frame unless you're playing on the weekend where you know your body needs to get ready for one, two, or three mm-hmm. sometimes. But I – and a lot of it's done because of the TV rights that they have and the slots that are picked. But I, I – when, you, when you're playing like a nine o'clock game, it's rough because you're sitting around all day. Your mind is just hearing everything that's been going on.
0: Like, what do you do? How do you pass that much time?
1: It, it, that's the issue. <laughs> you're just wondering about all the stuff and it's just like time seems to drag on like it's not moving. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, boom, now you got to show up and lather up and get ready and... I like, I like the seven. That's just me personally.
0: Four zero two four six four five six eight five. What time would you, sarder Heyman, tex line, start your national championship games, whether that's basketball, football, baseball, heck, even volleyball. Uh, drop your thoughts. What time's the best time? Uh, to start those and other thoughts throughout the show make sure you uh, get those in there on the text line big thanks to mary ellen's food for the soul for sponsoring on the block like they do every day big shout out to charles and the great group of people he has down there cooking up great food for you at 27th and pine lake in lincoln lots to get to today a lot of basketball that's our focus uconn wins the national championship we'll get into that in just a second uh, we'll finish this hour talking some Nebraska football special teams. How important is that? Who are some of the key players? Uh, uh, coordinator Ed Foley's approach to it. And then at three, strict something that we've been wanting to get into, and I think with UConn winning last night, it's the perfect time for it. The state of Blue Bloods yeah. in college basketball. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the season. It's time to revisit that conversation. Yeah. And not just what they have been, but what are they going to be? What yeah. are Blue Bloods going to be? So we'll get into that at three and talk with Steve Sipple at 3.30. But let's get into it. UConn wins the national championship. Maybe we should have seen it coming as uh, dominant as they were throughout the tournament. Their margin of victory is top five all time in terms of the tournament. Didn't lose a game outside of Big East play. What a season for UConn. What a run that Dan Hurley and that crew made. And it got dicey at a couple points. But Throughout the tournament, UConn seemed very in control.
1: Yeah, and, and what came through is the things that we talked about on yesterday prior to the game was um, making sure that they they you know didn't allow San Diego State to have advantages in areas where they can get easy points. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. I said it that. The Huskies are a scoring juggernaut. They're going to score in the seventies. That's just how good they shoot. They shoot great free
0: throws. They work for good shots. They work
1: for good, so you know that they're going to have uh, a high clip in their in their scoring. Whereas the other hand, San Diego State doesn't. They're streaky, but they they, they rely on their defense. They do a good job of that. But in this speci- in this specific game, you know. UConn shoots forty three percent, but here's the the capper: they shoot twenty seven free throws. Of the twenty seven, they hit twenty four. That's eighty eight percent. So, you're you're trying to get into a game, or runs are happening, and then runs are stalled because they're going to the free throw line shooting at a high clip. Now, seventy five is not bad, but your three point shooting for San Diego State was. Terrible. And that's what you needed to fall mm-hmm. in order to be in this game.
0: uh Lamont Butler goes three of seven from long range to to lead San Diego State. He made half of them. Uh, but Micah Parrish goes 0 for 4. Mm-hmm. Matt Bradley goes 0 for 4. Uh, yep. Trammell hits only one of his three attempts. And those are guys that you needed to step up and knock them down. Seiko off the bench hit one, but it was late. Yeah. It was part of the run that San Diego State made, helped spark that. But it was too little, too late. San Diego State and UConn both make four of their first five shots, and then it dried up for San Diego State very quickly and very early. And
1: being a deep team, right, you can't just get 10 points out of your bench scoring. No. And then you get nothing from Mensa, right? Mensa, you're hoping in that matchup that he's able to handle himself in that in that matchup. But another thing we talked about, they're not a high assist team. So it became a lot of one-on-ones. A lot of your scoring clips are going to go down significantly. So you you have them shooting. They only got 7 like 7 assists in the game. They had 7 assists. On the other hand, you got doubled that number, which they were averaging almost 18, I think 19 as a team. And so UConn just pretty much did what they do, and they dominated. I think. I think UConn probably was the most dominant team throughout this whole because they were consistent in doing what they do, mm-hmm. limiting you to what you're trying to do, and and uh, just beating you, beating you down, beating you up. And Sonogos just that guy. I mean he <laughs> he he's that guy. He he's the anchor for that team. And then you had Carabine. <laughs> who ends up with three blocks.
0: <laughs> White boys can't jump. <laughs> he ends up
1: with three blocks, and you'd think that was going to be Sunogo. He, he actually is the one that ends up with all the blocks. They basically were kind of diverted from Sunogo and then get, get, get caught by Caraban. Yeah, by Caraban.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, Adama Sunogo, the most outstanding player of the Final Four, makes sense given what he did to Miami to help uh, UConn win that game and then took over especially in the first half. 17 yeah. points, 10 rebounds uh, for him, a block, and an assist as well. And they needed him to be big. Klingon got in foul trouble. I thought San Diego State had the right idea in going at Klingon early when he came in off the bench because that's what you've seen teams do when you have a dominant big man like that. You, you go at Colk Brennan. You go at Edie, You go at Jackson Davis. No different with a guy like yeah. Donovan Klingon. Even though he's a freshman coming in off the bench, you got to attack him. You can't be scared of him. There was, I think, at some points, a really good balance of attacking and aggression. At other points, though, it was that one-on-one game. Put their head down and drive, get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Twelve turnovers for San Diego State was too many. That's too many opportunities given away for a team that doesn't play fast. On the flip side, turnovers are how San Diego State made a run. UConn gets up by, I want to say, 14, 15, 16 points in that that, range. Mm Mm-hmm. Blink of an eye, yeah. San Diego State's only down five. Yeah. It was careless turnovers from UConn, lazy passes, weak passes. San Diego State jumping the passing lanes. Yeah, it's sixty to fifty-five. You're like, okay, there's five minutes left. They've got a chance. Dead in the water. Looked horrible. But I, I took note of this, Strick. It was sixty to fifty-five uh, with three forty-one to go. Two possession game with four minutes to go. Plenty of time. Plenty four possessions after it was 60 to 55 it was 69-55 yukon used that under four media timeout regained yeah. didn't turn the ball over again yeah yeah and that's that's um
1: that's that was a key key piece for them not allowing the aztecs to get back into the game or to win the game mm-hmm. if they did that they got a hold of that they were going to they were going to be good and i think they um they handled it well um, you know, shout out to the Huskies and, and, and the way that they played. I don't think it was a great game.
0: Mm-mm.
1: So, to, you know, to me, it seemed like the women's game was was probably more intense and and um, a little bit more fiery. But but you know, I like the fact that the four and fives were there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just like that. I like the fact that uh, the underdogs made it. Um, the Aztecs didn't get a chance to get into. Uh, what I would hope for them was, you know, being the super underdog. I really was rooting for FAU, and 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 uh, you know, like I said, I think he's going to keep them together. And if he can continue to keep them together, they're they're going to be scary. They could they could have a Butler type of run. Could they very much? Mm-hmm. They very because they were. I mean, they're one shot away from being right there in the mix of it. I would have loved to see that matchup.
0: I saw a couple uh, way too early, top 25s come out. One of them had Florida Atlantic at number five.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: I mean, you guys
1: I mean they're, they're, they're a young bunch. I mean, they're seasoned now,- mm-hmm. I mean, they should dominate their conference. Yeah, man that, that's it's a scary thought to have that whole team dang there coming back. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. like you may be going the transfer portal and just get get one. That could just be a nice contributor to that, that bench or
0: whatever. Shh. Watch out. We said something very similar about North Carolina last year. Yeah. That's what gives me a little bit of pause because but- it's hard for teams to follow up. I mean, Butler did it in 2010-11. They make the championship game, lose to do, come back the next year, lose, ironically enough, to to UConn. To me, Butler is the exception where I think they were able to keep their under-bulldog mindset um, it, it really play play on still being the little guy. FAU's going to try, but that's hard to do at a school that doesn't have that historical success with still a young coach. I hope they can. They're one of the best stories of the postseason and an underappreciated story of the regular season, but expecting them or predicting them to be a top five team next season, ah, it's a tall task. Uh,
1: Yeah, it's a tall task. I'm going to say another thing is it can go one of two ways, and, and, and I saw it when I was in high school. My junior year, we went to the state finals. Uh, we beat, you know, the number one seed. We came in low, and we ran through it and got in there and just ran up against a Miller South team that was just bigger than us and um, just had a little bit more. And the next year, we bring dang near everybody back. I think we only lost one senior. Whew. Right? Maybe one or two, but I think it was one. One one major contributor, his name was Danny Cole. And losing that, we expected, yo, we got a good squad. We're going to come back. What happens sometimes is teammates start smelling themselves. Mm -hmm. And then in their minds, roles begin to shift and change, and guys start Mm -hmm. to try to emerge to become – The dude on the team. right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what happens. And then your team ends up faltering because you're not doing what you just said about Butler, where they maintain the same mental state going into the next year. And that's why they were able to return. If FAU doesn't do that, if they don't come in with, we know who we are, Mm -hmm. I know who I am, and I don't try to change or buck the system. Then we can make
0: another run because you can add to your game without becoming a new player. Yeah, roles don't have to change that dramatically with as many guys coming back as they do. What's the coach's role in that, and what's the player's role in keeping the same mindset?
1: I mean, it, it the coach's role is very important, and and i in in speaking to that of the coach's role, it was very similar to what Jim O'Brien had to do when I was with the Boston Celtics. Jim O'Brien, the year before, they were terrible. I mean, they have a great group of kids, not kids, we're men, um, great group of men, and they had Ron Mercer and, you know, uh, Kenny Anderson, and great guys, um, you know, obviously Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. So, he had to go and sit them down. He didn't have to sit us down. We We all knew Paul, and and Antoine was the guys. Nobody's gonna change that. Kenny Anderson was older, so he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. You know, buck the system. He's like, I'm gonna lead this team. I'm the point guard. I knew I was a six man, so I was gonna come off the bench and mm-hmm. you know change the pace and do some service there, get after people defensively. But he had to sit them down. He had to sit Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker down, collectively, mm-hmm. probably individually and collectively, and let them know. Who they are, what their roles are, and just you've got to share. <laughs> you know what I mean. You can't. And not be... his turn, your turn. Yes, yeah. you've not got like that. to. You've got to be willing. And and what ends up happening is there are nights when I even would leave and lead and score. There are nights when I'd have twenty five mm-hmm. or twenty six, and I may be the leader. But it was because they schemed and 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 scouted for them. To try to stop, so they would find, and you have to be ready to step up and, and be able to knock that stuff down. I would say one of the great, greatest tragedies, <clears throat> not tragedies, but I think it was um, something if they could go back and do again, they probably would change. <clears throat> they had Joe Johnson,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a young Joe Johnson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Iso Joe. And Joe Johnson just, he just was, he, he struggled because he just was still trying to find his way but my gosh, if they could have held on to him and it been those three, man, I would have loved to see that team.
0: Because those are three wings, not, mm. not a guard, not a big guy, yeah. which would have been huge, but the way the NBA was moving with three wings, that could have been fun. That'll put a bow on a segment one. Got to talk some Husker football when we get back. We heard from running backs coach EJ Barthol, also from uh, special teams coordinator Ed Foley and the specialists. We'll talk about that before we get into the shootout after this.